man, that place is so pretty. It ought to be illegal. I'm not, I, I just, you know, the, the legend, the lore, the, the beauty of that place is the fishing. That was just, man, it's hard. That needs to be on everybody's bucket list. I know at one point I just sat down and quit fishing just, and just stared. From NCPR, welcome to Northwards. People, ideas, and conversations from and about northern New York, Vermont, and beyond. I'm Mitch Tyke. Support for the Northwards podcast comes from Joe Steininger and Mary McDonald in support of the Adirondack Foundation, building stronger Adirondack communities. I recently took up fishing again after a short break of, you know, like 40 years. Mostly it was my son's influence, but being in a place like the North Country played a big role too. We have a lot of fishermen and fisherwomen around the region. Catching fish in rivers and streams in rural St. Lawrence County and Adirondack ponds, even in Lake Ontario. But it's not just folks from our region. Actually, the North Country is a destination for fishermen, especially bass fishermen. In fact, the July and August issue of Bassmaster magazine rates the St. Lawrence River as the number two best place for bass fishing in the country. Lake Champlain makes the top 100 list as well, as do a couple of places just to the south, Oneida and Cayuga Lake, and hey, Lake Erie as well. What makes not just a good place, but a great place to fish? And why do so many places in our region make the grade? James Hall is here to tell us. He's the editor-in-chief of Bassmaster, and he's on the line from Birmingham, Alabama. James, thanks so much for making the time. Oh, man, it's a it's a pleasure and honor for me to be here with you guys. Well, so let's start with the two fisheries from what we think of here as the North Country, northern New York, to make this list. Uh, the St. Lawrence River has been at or near the top pretty consistently over the years. What makes it such a great place in a national context versus everywhere else in the country someone could fish? Well, I tell you, man, the, the St. Lawrence River, there's uh, something special in the water there, and best I can figure. So, so y'all are sprinkling magic <laughs> in that in that particular fishery because it has, you're right, perennial, uh, it's been a perennial powerhouse as far as the rankings go. Um, and and the this last year, it just illustrated as the best smallmouth fishery in the world bar none and there may not even be a second place as far as the st lawrence river and smallmouth go um the water the water there is fertile um the bass just keep getting bigger you know we had an event up there uh last year our last event of the year less than 12 months ago where we had two anglers uh top the 100 pound mark over four days which was actually it had never been done before you know there had never been an angler on the elite series catch over 100 pounds of smallmouth in one event and then the st lawrence produced two of those in the same event uh so that is you know it was historic and um and it and it appears that the st lawrence is just getting better well and so tell us about the data you use i mean you mentioned uh what it took to uh to win the elite series last year in the st lawrence but what what's the what's the sum total of the data you use to create this list and and how do you pull it all together over the year yeah, um, it's painful. You know, like I, <laughs> I mentioned, it's a live love hate relationship with this thing because when we're putting together the hunter best bass lakes list, uh, the rankings, it takes about two months in total, almost three, because what we do first of all is we survey all the fisheries departments of every um, of every state in the nation. Now, some of them uh, participate, some of them don't, and they give us kind of the foundation to begin the process. So once they rank their say, you know, they do electrofish surveys. They're the ones that stock these fisheries. 
Um, they're the ones that set the creel limits and the seasons for you guys up north. So having them kind of set the foundation of ranking their own lakes based on their knowledge of it is a really, really good foundation for us. Uh, but then we go in, once we kind of get their information, we go in and look at um, at tournament data. Uh, both, uh, like at every tournament trail you can imagine, and, and there are tens of thousands of them out there. You know, we got like Paul Paul's uh, Sunday morning derby on, you know, the the Lake Mitchell. And Randy. So, so we go through a ton of tournament data, and that does take a long time. And it will either um, help solidify and elevate the information that we get from the uh, from the state fisheries departments or it will say well you know it's not quite as good as they thought it was you know just based on the data so and we also have um what we call what we what it's kind of our grassroots um uh, efforts throughout the u.s called the bass nation and these are fishermen who, who are in every state in the nation they fish just about every pond out there and there's just tens of thousands of these guys that are just avid and rabid and each has a, a president and a conservation director. So we pull all these guys throughout the country as well and have them rank the, the lakes that they fish in case there's something that might have slipped through the cracks. So when we kind of get it all down, we we, we collect our all that data, get our arms around it. Uh, we kind of put it down on paper, throw it in a spreadsheet, and we start looking at the, the average tournament weights that's taken to catch, and then the big fish, and then how close are the tournaments? Because if one derby is one with 30 pounds and the next 10 guys have three pounds. Well, then it kind of lets you know that that was just that was kind of, <laughs> kind of a one-off. And so we try to avoid the one by ranking highly these one-offs because every lake can show out every now and again. But um, we get a blue ribbon panel of uh, industry insiders, you know, some elite series anglers, some folks in the industry that have fished for forever, some people in my office. And then we just debate where these lakes are going to fall on the rankings and then once that debate is over and hopefully no blood has been shed <laughs> then uh, then we we settle on the list and publish it <laughs> well and we should get a definition out of the way too you talk about the best bass lakes but obviously when we're talking about the St. Lawrence River here you're you're taking some liberties with the idea of a lake these are really bass fisheries we're talking about that is correct it's just not as it's not as catchy <laughs> yeah, best, the best bass fisheries it uh, yeah, that's right. There's there's um, there's lakes, there's man-made, you know, there's uh, tidal uh, fisheries in here as well. So yeah, it's all it's just the best the best uh, bass fisheries uh, in the U.S. But we we throw them all under the lakes name. <laughs> Well, and, and, and you were saying this, um, you know, th this is obviously a national magazine with, with thousands of subscribers and uh, potentially lots of them might travel a few hours or even more to fish. So I would assume that accessibility also figures into this top 100 list. It does. Yeah, accessibility. So whenever we reach out to the conservation directors of the Bass Nation that I mentioned earlier, we um, we make sure that the accessibility that, 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 that there's access because no private lakes are obviously going to be put on this list. And then there's some public lakes that can be dangerous. And then um, and then we also um, add to the, the criteria um, kind of the scenery. Because we, yeah, you know, there might be a fantastic pond in the middle of Houston, Texas, and there's nothing but beer cans and whatever floating on top of it, and so we also don't want to send people there. So, uh, yeah, so there the added criteria are accessibility and kind of scenery, and it's hard to find an ugly place to fish, but they're they are out there, <laughs> and we want to try to 
uh, kind of avoid sending people to those places. Well, and I suspect if you asked a longtime bass fisherman here in northern New York or California or Alabama or Texas, they would all have this one special place that they think is the best. But this is, you know, I don't want to say lowest common denominator because that's that's probably not fair either. But you know, you're not you're not trying to like overload the secret place that that the longtime fisherman has been going, you know, for 20 years and. Uh, can only can only really handle three or four people in it at once. Yeah, that is right, and um, and there is kind of a size minimum too. So we don't want uh, we don't want to bombard a tiny tiny fishery. Although we have some really small ones on the on the list, it's smaller than ever this year. But those are some kayak only and and bank fishing only scenarios because not every you know we have a half a million readers of Bassmaster, and not all of them have a boat. Uh, some of them just have a kayak, and we want to make sure that they are served as well. So there are bank fishing opportunities and kayak-only fisheries out there that are tremendous. So we wanted to make sure that those folks know that you know this list is not just for them. So back to the St. Lawrence River for a minute. Um, how does the length of the fishing season uh, factor into your calculations? Because obviously there there are folks who have been out for weeks or months in a place like, uh, you know, say the Toledo Bend Reservoir and the Texas-Louisiana border, while we're still canceling school and shoveling snow up here in <laughs> in northern New York? Well, the, the, the length of season does not really um, measure into our calculations at all. We know that, that some fisheries have seasons. Honestly, the fact that y'all have seasons up there pro- are probably one of the reasons that these fisheries are so um, so very, very amazing. You know, you look at at some of the lakes like Gunnersville that are always on the on this list, and some of the Toledo Bend, R- Rayburn, and you know some Florida fisheries—they're never close. That's that's all, and they get um, tremendous pressure because of it. You know, y'all have the opportunity to duck in when that when everything freezes over and ice, but that does give the bass an opportunity to uh, relax and. Um, and not have a hook, uh, you know, dangling from its face 24/7 because fishing pressure is a real thing, and it does affect the catchability of these bass. So for y'all to give these fish a break, I think it's, um, I think it, it makes them a more catchable, but it also keeps them quite healthy uh, during a time when they could, they could, um, you know, get damaged or be hurt in, and really rough weather. So I think that um, when we look at, when we look at the rankings and 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 the northern fisheries that have these seasons for bass we're, it's not something that we you know there's a plus sign behind it or a negative sign behind it. it's just all right the end result is that uh, it makes these fisheries better seemingly so that's really the only calculation goes into is the end result now um lake champlain is also on this list and there's uh, there's an elite series event that's happened there the last uh, couple of years and is coming up this year as well what are the draws that you found uh you know on the on the new york vermont border well i will tell you something you know and i was just up there um i guess this is about i guess, uh, last this past spring and it was tremendous man I t- what is so amazing about champlain is that you have an incredible smallmouth fishery alongside an incredible largemouth fishery. So you can kind of pick your poison when it comes to the style of fishing that you want. You're not only you know throwing finesse baits in deep, clear water, uh, but you can go fish for those big, you know, the big green fish in shallow, weedy backwaters or coves or whatever. 
and you can power fish them. Uh, and then if you get tired of that, well, you pop out on the on a ledge and and go catch uh, you know giant smallmouth too. And what I'd noticed about Champlain when I fished it this last time versus when I fished it prior was probably ten years ago, is that the uh, smallmouth have grown up. You know, used to you could go there and catch plenty of smallmouth, but they'd all be two, two and a half pounds. I bet I caught four over four and a half pounds the last time I went. So that was that really impressed me. Uh, the largemouth were still there, and they're still very healthy. So it's kind of a, you know, for a Champlain to me, it's kind of a coin flip uh, when it comes down to one. If you want to go win a tournament on that lake, you can probably do it with smallmouth, or you can go do it with largemouth if you get in the right spot. So that's a really special thing about that place is that the quality of both types of bass are just so good. I imagine it makes it that much more complicated for uh, for the Elite Series fishermen who have to come up with a strategy when they get there. Yeah, you know, well, it'll be interesting, very interesting to watch because you, you have your, your typical, you know, some of these pros love fishing for smallmouth and are very, very good at it. Some of them are amazing at catching largemouth um, and not so much at smallmouth. So at Champlain, uh, you're going to get to see guys fish to their strengths, my guess is. Uh, because it's gonna, I don't, I, or maybe both, you know, because you maybe want uh, you can catch two four pound largemouth and three four pounds. I don't know. It's gonna be cool to watch. But watching these, seeing these guys, the best fishermen on the planet, fish to their strengths. Uh, in a place as, as amazing as Champlain is going to be fun to watch. Well, and and you talked about scenery, and it's tough to beat a place Ooh. where you can see the Adirondacks on one side and the Green Mountains on the other and have this amazing lake in between. Man, that place is so pretty, it ought to be illegal. I'm, I, I just, I know at one point I just sat down and quit fishing just, and just stared at, at Champlain, and then and then of course you have the monster thing, and I and I and I swore I wasn't going to tell my elite series, and I won't tell the name, but we did go uh, live scan some really deep areas, but just to make sure <laughs> that, that the monster wasn't near. But you know the the legend, the lore, the the beauty of that place is the fishing. That was just. Man, it's hard. That needs to be on everybody's bucket list as far as I'm concerned. Well, so I have to ask, there there are 100 lakes on this list. How many of them do you think you have fished? Uh, not enough. answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing all that are on this list, uh, all from all 100, I, I maybe have fished 40. I, you, you get on, when we first started doing it, I would take wild swings and I'd go, I, this year I'm going to take a California swing. And I'd go out there and I'd fish Delta and Clear Lake and Berryessa and knock three off the list and thought I did something. But you know, I mean, there's, you know, they got nine lakes on the, on the list. I didn't even put a dent in it when I went to the, to that state. So it's fun. And, and, um, you know, there's a couple more after, cause we have, we have beyond myself, we have three other riders that contribute to this list that live in these regions that they put together and they, they come up with new lakes all the time and some fall off this list. Uh, and there's a couple of new ones, um, that I think I'm going to have to poke around and, and maybe put on my list for next year. To answer your question, uh, not nearly enough. <laughs> well, I was going to ask whether whether some of this is uh, is still an eye opener. I don't know how long you've been editing, but uh, but certainly you've been around the you've been around the sport for a long time. There must be some that are still popping up that you, that you were not aware of. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, some of the ones on because I write in the southeast region uh, since I live in the southeast, and there probably there were three on there that I found this year that had not not that had never made the rankings. 
I've, I've been with the magazine for t almost 25 years now. So, and we started this thing, um, oh gosh, I guess 11, 12 years ago. Um, so, you know, the very first lake to, to, to be ranked number one is Lake Falcon. And it was, you know, guys were catching 30 pounds on an umbrella rig in one cast. You know, I mean, it was just, and at that time you're thinking, oh my gosh, well, this is, maybe this is a bad idea. No one is, there's not a lake that's ever going to be able to beat Falcon. <laughs> and then two years ago, Falcon didn't even make the list. You know, you, you have drought, you have um, overfishing, you have flood conditions, you have, you know, there's fish kills because of lake turnover poor management there's just so many things that can affect a fishery um that i have over the years uh, past decade plus i've been shocked at how much this list changes and turns over so yeah every year i'm I'm excited to see what the guys in the other regions come up with i'm always excited to find new new lakes um that that uh i get to add to the southeast region and uh and you know the uh, florida Man, there are some amazing things happening in Florida right now, as there are in Texas. So we're actually about to head down to a sport fishing show. And I, I have a couple of those <laughs> lakes that I haven't fished yet that I'm going to check off in the in the sunshine state. But, yeah, there's always some surprises, man. It's it's uh, pretty amazing. And so where are we talking to you from? Where where do you live? Uh, I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. Yeah, the world world headquarters of BASS. Very nice. Uh, happy to be done with this uh, with this issue, though. Yes, yes. <laughs> of all the issues I do, I hate this one the most. It is well for two two reasons. A, it's a lot of work, and you know I'm, I'd rather be fishing than working. That's uh, kind of how that goes. But then you know you also can't make anybody happy because you you, ha you put a you you do your best to get the list right, and the guys whose home lake is on that list they get mad. They're like, ah, oh, I didn't want you to tell anybody about Burton Mullet Lake in Michigan. Ah, oh, you ruined it forever, and then. And then the guys whose favorite lake isn't on there get mad. They're like, you don't know anything. Lake Mitchell in Alabama is the best spotted bass fishing lake, you dummy. So, you know, it's never you never make anybody happy. But I think all the people in the middle, it's that half a million readers in the middle that we're trying to, that's our sweet spot that we're trying to help out. So, so yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's a love-hate relationship with this thing. I love what, I love the, the conversation that it creates. And I hopefully... Um, the results that it gives uh, the folks who don't have a whole lot of time to go fishing less, points them in the right direction. That's the part that I love about it. Well, I enjoyed it for sure, and uh, and I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much. No, oh, man, it's been my pleasure. I sure appreciate your interest in this, and I hope that uh, that you get to get out on the water sometime <laughs> soon and, and test, test out the list for yourself. James Hall, editor-in-chief of Bassmaster Magazine, talking with us about the magazine's July-August issue, which places the St. Lawrence River as the number two bass fishing site in the country. Down from number one last year, but still pretty impressive. And hey, it was number one in the Northeast, and Lake Champlain was number five. You'll find a link to the whole shebang at ncpr.org northwards. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Northwards. I'm Mitch Tyke. I hope you enjoyed our interview, and you can catch new content every Friday right here or wherever you get your podcasts. Find out more about Northwards and NCPR on our mobile app or at our website, ncpr.org. And while you're there, make a donation to support everything you hear on North Country Public Radio. 
Northwards is an NCPR podcast production. The show is written, edited, and produced by Mitch Tyke with digital production supervision by me, Ethan Shanty. Caitlin Kelly handles our social media, Bill Hanel is our digital director, and Doyle Dean is our production manager. Music is by the Wickmore Jazz Trio of Plattsburgh. To support this show and find more podcasts, visit ncpr.org. This is NCPR, North Country Public Radio.